Welcome to Diet Culture Dropout. Are you ready to drop out of the $72 billion narrative that you've been sold? Diet culture sells us lies, unattainable beauty standards, the narrative that your body's inadequate, and dictates how you should define your health. It is pervasive, oppressive, and damaging to all areas of our health. By dropping out of diet culture, we can together celebrate all bodies, work towards dismantling weight stigma, and stop the transgenerational trauma of body shame and dieting. I'm your host, Athena Brown, a non-diet and body-inclusive registered dietitian, a certified intuitive eating counselor, yoga teacher, and a mom of two strong-willed daughters. My passion is helping people heal their relationship with their body and food so they can live a full life without restrictions, size limits, or food rules. I also desperately want to change the narrative for our kids so they can be the first generation that never diets, has resilience in our body-obsessed world, and a positive relationship with food. This podcast is a safe space for exploration, mindful moments, and take-home practices for anyone looking to find food peace and body liberation. Please remember that this is for educational purposes only and does not replace medical advice from your primary care provider, therapist, or registered dietitian. I am so happy you're here. I want you to know that wherever you are in your food and body peace journey, that there is room at this table for you. You are so worthy, just as you are right now. Hello, and welcome back to Die Culture Dropouts. Hope everyone is doing well, and thanks so much for being here. I'm so grateful for this podcast community, and um, it really just lights my heart up. So thanks for being here and listening to my episodes and rambles. Um, sometimes I feel like I'm on a soapbox, so uh, <laughs> thanks for being here. So today we're going to do a solo episode, and I thought we could maybe go into the division of responsibilities. This is talked about a lot. It's definitely a framework that has a ton of research around its ability to help kids um, regulate around food, have a positive relationship with food and eating, and it's a really good framework. Again, with any parenting and feeding suggestions, just want to say that there's no one way. You do what's best for you and your kids, and you always are the best teacher and role model for your kids. So just keep that info in mind. The division of responsibility, again, Alan Satter is a dietitian, a therapist in the United States, and she pioneered, she created this way of feeding kids. And it's kind of like the gold standard when we're, when we're talking about feeding kids. And Again, it's a way of feeding your child that takes the battle out of mealtimes. And these responsibilities are also known as feeding boundaries that are designed for both the parents or caregivers and then the child. And the aim is to foster a supportive eating environment that gives the opportunity for your child to practice self-regulation around foods, learn how to behave at meals, and foster their intuitive eating skills. 
every kid, again, 99% of kids, babies are born with this intuitive eating lens. And it's how we kind of foster this or grow it or support it that really helps kids be more regulated around food. And of course, when we come out to this world, there's a ton of diet culture, mixed messages, and this dichotomy sometimes around food, especially, you know, when we're labeling foods, good, bad, healthy, unhealthy. So it sometimes can get really confusing, um, both for the parents feeding and also the kids. So what are these designated roles? So the adults determine three aspects in the feeding relationship. The aspect of when, the aspect of where, the aspect of what food is offered, and the kids determine if they're going to eat the food you put on the table or in front of them, and the volume, so the how much aspect to to eating. So briefly going to go over um, each of the aspects then. So I think with the kids, it's pretty straightforward. They decide, again, if they're going to eat it and how much. So kind of countercultural, letting a kid decide how much food they should eat. And again, it's really fostering their ability to regulate when we're trusting them, when we're saying, okay, you're done when you're done. So just briefly switching over to the parents' roles. So the what, what are you putting on the plate? And I think most parents have a great understanding of what to put on the plate. I find a lot of people, you know, whether adults or kids, don't need more information on, you know, what to eat and nutrition information. It's more on the how and the whys behind our eating and coping mechanisms with food. So just really briefly, um, we should be providing three meals a day, two to three snacks or more, depending on what is best for your kid and family, of course. And giving a variety of foods is always key. And when we're setting up the plates, having kind of the four elements, so some kind of fruit or veggie, if possible, a protein food, so whether these are animal, plant sources, generally these are more um, meat proteins, our dairy group of options, um, soy, nuts, seeds, beans, all that kind of stuff. And then some carbohydrate things. So grain products, any kind of, you know, waffle, muffin, cereal, potato, noodle, bun type thing. And then fat. So kids need a ton of fat. There's a ton of growth and brain development going on. And fat can be in the forms of like high fat dairy products, fat on meat, you know, contained within foods. And then it can also be added fat. So if we're adding butters or oils or margarine sauces, salad dressings, that kind of stuff, um, having a blend. So just trying to make it a little simple. So generally when we're having a meal, if we go back to kind of the classic Canada food guide, thinking about meals being three to four food groups. So food groups being a dairy or an alternative beverage or food alternative, um, a vegetable or fruit, a grain product and some kind of meat or animal protein option. So meals being three to four of those food groups. And then when we're offering snacks, so kind of two to three food groups count as a snack. I know sometimes um, people are just like, what? A granola bar on its own or an apple on its own isn't a snack. 
it's really not a lot of food or energy. No. So how can we add to that, right? Addition approach to nutrition rather than subtraction. So if we're having an apple, let's throw some cheese or peanut butter or popcorn on the side or something else with it. So we're having more than just one thing. Of course, always going to suggest having, um, you know, meals and snacks be served family style. That's where we're kind of like placing the food or the bowls on the table and letting kids self-select. So again, they're deciding if and how much there. Generally, meals should be made, you know, every three to five hours consuming and snacks kind of like two hours away from the meal. Trying to have kids come to the table hungry or curious. The when aspect. So we want parents, caregivers to be initiating, showing up, showing that they're going to be consistent in this feeding relationship. So really this kind of goes down to like the schedule. So offering three meals, three snacks, and like spacing them out throughout the day. Again, I know life is chaotic and your whole life can't be, you know, feeding your child. (laughs) I get that. But we really kind of want to get out of the groove of like the kids always initiating saying they're hungry or they're wanting, you know, the food handout all the time. Um, When parents show up in the feeding relationship and are being consistent and reliable, you know, kids can feel safe. Okay, you know, this is consistent. I will be able to get another nourishment period at X time or whenever it is. So the when aspect obviously changes as your kids grow up. Um, Bedtime snack is a big one for a lot of families. I should do a whole podcast episode on that too. So if you should offer bedtime snack, I think it depends. I'm going to give you that lawyer answer. So if dinner or meal is more than two hours after, then yeah, they, they probably need more nutrition. Kids have smaller tums than, than adults do, right? You might may or may not have a bedtime snack or any snacks, but kids really, um, you know, have small tummies. So they need to be fed more often. Of course, like toddlers, babies, the frequency is way more than kind of older children. So again, a couple other tips for bedtime snack, make it filling, but not thrilling. So most of the time, so do not make that exciting. So they skip out on dinner and just go for the snack. Um, Try to keep it simple, especially that evening one. It can also be like a mini sit down meal sometimes how we're approaching snacks. So again, that two to three food options when we're eating and um, other snacks. Again, remember that we can serve dessert foods. We can serve favorite foods, foods maybe we're working on not being so obsessed over, you know, having a variety and keeping it neutral uh, for kids to be able to explore. What if they're hungry outside of these times? So again, this is really hard to just give you one answer here. So again, evaluate the situation. Were they more active? Were they, you know, drinking more? Were there other situations like a birthday party or something like that that's kind of bounced around this, um, you know, classic when aspect? Of course, if it's like 15, 20, 30 minutes before a meal, uh, really encouraging you to kind of acknowledge their desire. They're, you know, coming to you. Thank you for telling me you're hungry. You're doing a great job at identifying or listening to your body. And it's telling you it's hungry right now. And then kind of like holding that boundary. We'll be eating in X number of minutes. 
So I need you to wait so we can all eat together. Again, if this is not something that you've practiced, it's going to need some practicing, of course. Just like anything, when we're in a new phase, trying a new way of approaching things, it's going to it's not all going to be rainbows and unicorns. Maybe the situation is they didn't eat much at their meal or snack previously offered, which is now kind of evident why they're hungry. This is like a great opportunity to kind of embed some intuitive eating understanding and body cues. Of course, it depends on like the age development stage of your child. But again, using some curiosity you know, whether they're, you know, at the meal time and they're maybe not engaging in the meal. So instead of saying, finish your plate or pressure tactics, again, we talked about in a previous podcast episode, if we're using pressure, check that one out. Asking the kid, can you check in with your body? Is it done eating? Does it need more? How are you feeling? So getting them to kind of like check in. And then if they do miscalculate, oh, you're hungry. Okay. Snack's going to be in like 30 minutes. Sounds like you maybe miscalculated at your lunch meal. Having kids have this idea or beginnings of understanding of what their bodies are telling them. You know, I think hunger and fullness are kind of really complicated ideas for kids to understand, especially they're very abstract and lacking that prefrontal cortex. It's kind of difficult to say like, are you full? Are you hungry? So maybe some language around like, what's your body telling you? Um, Does it need more? Are we, you know, have a little talk with your tummy, get them to kind of check in. And again, more practice will help them uh, work at this skill just trying to remind you that when it comes to the when part of the division of responsibility, it takes time to get into a more structured routine around food. But the more we practice, it will become familiar. And the beginning stages, you know, there may be some challenging, some testing of the new framework, the boundary. Sometimes, you know, we have dinner, we're hungry like 20 minutes later, sorry, kitchen's closed right now. We're going to, if you normally have a bedtime snack, we're going to eat next at whenever it is. And really trying to hold that boundary. Whenever we're, like I said, installing some new changes, it's going to be a little bit of a rough go um, for some families. And then the last aspect is the where. So parents and caregivers are really in charge of this aspect of where we sit down, have this meal and eating. Um, I think the only food rule I have in my house is that my kids, they have to be sitting down when they're eating. I know choking is something of concern for a lot of parents and a lot lot of choking incidents actually happen in like older kids, preschoolers, school-aged kids, because we get out of these, you know, strap in high chairs, things like that, seats, and kids are more free willing and, you know, running around, moving around. So really trying to have a designated place in the home, if we can be consistent with coming back to these places. I know some houses don't all have tables, you know, it could be a blanket on your living room floor, kitchen floor, that great to do that. It could be a little, you know, picnic table in the summertime months when we're, we're heading outside or it's maybe the island or, or whatever it is, but having a designated place where we do food in the home and snacks. So again, most of the time trying to sit down and have this be the central location. Um, thinking about how we can make this space inviting, clutter-free, and maybe involving your child in like asking them what would make it more enjoyable. You know, in the summer months, I'm a little bit of a 
obsessed garden lover. Um, our whole house is surrounded with, with flowers and plants and peonies and lavender. And um, one of my passions is, is flowers and gardening. So my kids just love like in the summer months, weekly picking, you know, weekly, I should say daily, have no flowers in the gardens, <laughs> but maybe making like a little bouquet and taking it to the table, making a placemat as like an activity, having a special plate or a cup or a candle. That's like the latest one with my six-year-old is having a candle at dinner. So just kind of like making it fun, free of clutter that always makes everyone's anxiety, maybe a little bit less stressed out, or maybe it's music. So inviting them into that process as well. Kids really don't have a lot of autonomy in their lives. So this is a great way to kind of like sprinkle some of that. And seating, is it appropriate for the child? So should they be in a high chair, booster seats? We talk about islands or, you know, um, bar stools are a common thing that most families or houses have now. So just think of it being like really supportive. I know when I'm sitting on like a bar stool that not having that back support is not enjoyable for eating. And also if they have dangling legs. So that's actually a um, protective mechanism response when you are choking that you like push down in your feet and kind of like thrash your chest forward. So that's why they're always suggesting having on high chairs like that foot rest or for kids you know, rungs on chairs to be able to like dangle their feet and touch it. Um, I'm sure some of my OT feeding experts, they talk about the 90-90 rule. So elbows, hips, knees, you know, all 90 degrees is kind of the, the classic best setup for eating. For older to, For older kids, you know, obviously this changes based on legs and bodies and all of that stuff. So that is kind of a summary of the division of responsibilities. So just to kind of repeat, parents are in charge of the what's going on the plate. You can, of course, factor in some of your kids' favorite foods, their preferences, but try not make the whole meal all about them. I know one night we had like Indian food. Um, my kids would eat like the rice, the non bread, maybe not the spicy um mildly spicy and spicy um, dishes we ordered, but I still like cut orange slices, super random to go with an Indian meal. I know, but I knew, you know, out of those options, there were a few safe foods or foods I knew would normally be an option for them to eat. So again, the what part up to the parents, the when part up to the parents and the where location, and then the kids deciding if they're going to eat it and how much. So hopefully that was helpful. If you have any questions, send me a DM on the Instagram page, Die Culture Dropout. I'd love hearing from you and share if you're instilling any new kind of strategies. Tag me, uh, Peacefully Nourished or Die Culture Dropout. I'd love to see what's going on in your home. Thanks everyone. Take care. I hope you enjoyed listening to Diet Culture Dropout. If you like today's podcast, I would love for you to leave a review, share the episode with a friend, or subscribe. The more we can collectively break down diet culture, the closer we get to food peace and celebrating all bodies. Thanks for being here.